Lord Jesus Christ, you have placed deep within us, each of us, living, breathing human beings that you have created, a deep desire to know that the God who holds the whole universe together knows each of us exists and cares about us. God, you know that we have a natural tendency as human beings to feel as though we're lost in the crowd, that you're far more busy with more important things than to care about us. But this morning, our worship has called us to celebrate you for who you are in truth. And the truth is, you delighted in creating each of us, and you care profoundly for each of us. You understand how we came in this room this morning. You understand what each of our weeks was all about. You saw it all. You heard every conversation. You read every email. And so you know us better than we know ourselves. So in the quietness of this moment, my friends, each of us in this room, we have the opportunity to speak to the God who made us and who loves us, and who understand exactly where you are in the journey of life. I'm going to invite you to be seated in prayer, and then why don't you just have a quiet prayer moment with God. Go ahead and be seated. And why don't you just thank God for creating you. Thank God for sustaining your life up to this moment. Thank him that he understands you much better than you even understand yourself. Thank him that he cares more for you than you care about yourself. And why don't you just entrust to him whatever the issues are that you came in with this morning that are weighing heavy on your heart. He knows all about them. And now, Lord Jesus, we each want to ask you, would you please speak privately and personally to each of us during these next moments when we open up your word and we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, would you please speak to us exactly what you know we each need to hear from you? In other words, we're asking you, God, would you please touch us, each of us, right at the point of what you know to be our need and in anticipation of what you're going to say to us and the difference that that's going to make in our lives this morning, this next week, this next month, we're already thanking you. And I prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I want to dismiss our children, the little ones up through grade four. There's some wonderful teachers who've been preparing for you. I know that because I'm married to one of them. <clears throat> and she's been preparing for some pretty fun things for you. Could I invite the rest of you to take your copy of God's Word and just hold it in your hand for a moment? And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, there should be one under the chair in front of you or near it. And the reason I'm asking you to hold it is God wants to speak to us in these next few moments. 
And he wants to speak to us on the basis of what he knows your Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday are going to be all about this next week. Do you believe that? He already sees what your next week is going to be like. In fact, he's already there waiting for you. Pastor Chuck mentioned that yesterday morning we had the David Trophy breakfast here in which we honor the high school football athlete nominated by his head coach to have modeled or demonstrated the highest degree of character on and off the field. It was a special time. But there was one coach that was missing. And that coach is a part of this church family, Buddy Breen. He was missing because at 11 o'clock Friday night, he was taken to the hospital with chest pains. And I received word this morning that he's now at St. Luke's. They have installed already one stint, and they're watching him carefully to see if he needs more than that. So would you please be praying for our friend Buddy Breen? Because uh, God has already done, has already spared his life a couple of times, if you know Buddy's story. And now one more time, God is reaching to him. My wife Dawn and I are at a, one of those precious moments in life that many of us in this room have been at. The, my daughter April is due, really due. I mean, she is full term due, if you've seen my daughter April. And the baby is due either today or tomorrow. So <clears throat> we're in that precious moment where in the next few hours, if things go the way God's designed them to go, she's going to begin to feel some, some feelings inside of her that we men in this room, we just don't understand that. And those feelings will start becoming contractions, and then we're really glad we don't understand that. Right, brothers? Uh, I was there the day that she was birthed, and a couple weeks ago with the medical team that we took to Haiti, I watched uh, again that miracle that, dear ladies, we praise God, you understand, and we're not really envious, although we're delighted that that's how God's designed it to bring babies into our world, but it's an amazement every time we see it. And here's what's been working on me the last couple of days. What is God doing right now inside the womb of my daughter as he puts, may I call it, the finishing touches on this little baby that we're going to see in the next few hours? I'm assuming ears are where they're supposed to be and eyes and fingernails, and he's already picked the eye color of the child, male or female, we don't know. And I'm assuming he's even already placed the personality inside that little baby that we're going to come to appreciate. But, but what more? What final finishing touches? And then this, the big question. Why? Why did God choose to make this baby in the first place? What is the purpose for which this baby is going to be among us, Lord willing, for many years? Because would you agree that you exist for a reason? God didn't have to reach inside your mother's womb when he did and bring together an egg and a sperm and create life and then shape and form you carefully over those months. He didn't have to birth you as he did. He hasn't had to sustain your life every moment to this moment. There's a reason. Have you discovered it yet? And are you living in the joy, the celebration of you understand why you're here and you're living it to the fullest? Our theme verse this year, and there should be a theme verse card in your worship folder. If you were here last week, that means you now have a second one. And that's good. Maybe you know somebody who needs it. Would you say it with me, please? It's on the screen. Let's say it together. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance 
the race marked out for us. We'll stop right there for a moment. We worked through all of that first verse last week. And if you look at your notes that I prepared for you in your worship folder, you see that I tried to bring back into this week's notes many of the comments that I made for you last week. Let's revisit it for just a moment. Therefore, whenever you see that word in literature, especially in the Bible, it means stop. Look back to see what has preceded that word. In this particular case, that's Hebrews chapter 11, of course, which is the great roll call of faith of all those great heroes that lived their lives amazingly by faith, doing outrageous things that they were confident God was calling them to do. And then as you look back and you look around, you learn what God wants you to learn from that so that as you move forward, you move forward carefully on the basis of what you've just learned. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we look back with the word therefore, we look around us with the word since we are. So look around for a minute. You are surrounded in this room. Go ahead, look around just a minute. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Many people that you know witnesses remember last week i told you two words and i've got it for you there in your notes this refers to those that have gone before us who have modeled for us how to live life successfully in a god-honoring way and aren't you glad that hopefully you have some in your heritage line If you've been a part of Calvary very long, there's been a whole bunch of them here that have gone on before us, that have modeled for us how to live life in a God-honoring way. But there's another part of that, and it's people that I've called spectators. It's the people who are presently watching you and me live life today. It's your family, your extended family. It's your co-workers. It's your friends and your neighbors. Do you think it's safe to say that a number of the people who are watching you live life are hoping you get it right because they don't know too many people that they're watching who are getting it right. You probably have a number of friends who are married and they're watching your marriage if you're married and hoping that you will model for them how is marriage supposed to work because no matter where they look, it's not working. You probably have some friends who are watching you if you still have children at home and you're parenting who are hoping you get it right because there's not very many places that they can look to see how to do this thing we call parenting, especially if you're parents of 20-somethings, some of whom may still be living at home and who are trying to find their way, or teenagers. Would you agree? Maybe you're some of those who are caring for aging parents who are at that place where they're going through really difficult things and they're needing you, their adult children, to help them walk that path and you're surrounded by folks of your same generation that are hoping you get it right. Why? Because you and I are now the models for those who are watching. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what? Just sit there with your arms folded and enjoy life? No, no. What does it say? Let's throw off everything that hinders. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let's turn and look inward and let's ask ourselves the really important questions. What is it in my life that is hindering me from becoming the person, the man or the woman or the teenager that God had designed me to be? And when I can identify that, God, if you'll show me what's holding me back, I'm going to throw it off. 
I'm going to refuse to let that whatever it is, that attitude or that habit or that past failure that haunts me or whatever it is, I'm going to refuse to let that have control over me or define me. I'm going to give that over to God. I'm going to ask God to free me of that. I'm going to throw it off, right? And the sin that so easily entangles me, you remember last week we talked about, that's one of those forward looks. I'm going forward in life and I'm going to assume that some of the same things that I have faced in the past, I'm going to face again in the future. And God is asking me to look back and see if I can learn Where were the, last week I called them the bear traps that I stepped into when they grabbed me? Because as I go forward, there's going to be some more bear traps. And if I haven't learned the lessons well here, I'm going to stumble again going forward. The sin that so easily entangles me. Do I know myself well enough to know where I'm vulnerable? And have I brought into my life some friends, some accountability partners, if you will, who can help me with that, who can ask me the hard questions, who can encourage me on as I go. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's look at ourselves closely and throw off the things that hinder and be alert going forward to the sin that has caught me in the past. And if I'm not careful, it'll easily entangle me again in the future. And then, now let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perseverance, what an interesting word. It, it, it combines several words. It combines patience over the long journey with endurance over the long journey with anticipation that something awaits me that will reward my perseverance in the long journey. Did you get that? Patience, endurance, anticipation. Let us run with perseverance The race marked out for us. Now, that's a very interesting little phrase. Who does it seem to suggest has laid out a path for you to walk or run in life, huh? God himself. That's what I've been thinking about with this little baby that is about to be birthed in the next hours, maybe. As God has been, may I call it, fabricating this little child inside of my daughter's womb, Why, God, what is the race that you will map out in front of that child that if that child will come to know you early in life and if he or she will submit their lives to you and determine to follow you, when they get to the end of the journey and look back, they will be able to see, oh my, I've had the privilege of walking the journey that God had in his mind for me when he made me. Wow, that's what he's talking about. Now, when you look closely at that first verse, uh, something troubles me. It almost has the sense of a self-help verse, doesn't it? If I try hard enough, if I do enough for myself, I'll throw off the things that hinder. I won't stumble in the same mud pits. I'll run this great race. But that's not the message that God gives to you and to me, is it? It's not about trying harder. It's not about pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, is it? It's about a relationship with the God who made me. Now, I found a little video clip that kind of helps us see that. It's admittedly a little bit silly, but it's real short, so the pain won't be long. But, but, But watch this with me. There you are. 
You're an hour late. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I I slept in. Food? Um, no, I don't eat junk food when I'm training for a race. Really? By the way, the race is in one week. You know that, right? Of course. I'll be ready. Well, do you want a few minutes to warm up or something? Well, I think that should do it. Ready? Let's go. need some help. quite sure why it always is that the women in these commercials have it all together and us guys are just stumbling all around <clears throat> maybe that just looks if you know my dear wife that just looks really too familiar the aerobics uh, queen yeah it's not about us trying harder is it it's about us getting to know the one who made us and would like to take us on the journey. That's why the next verse is so important. So let's pick it up with the word, let us fix. You ready? Let's read it together. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's look at those, that verse, phrase by phrase. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And I wonder if the first thought that comes to your mind is, Pastor Doug, that's just impossible. I can't see him with my eyes. I can't hear him with my ears. I can't touch him with my hands. Can't do it. It was a lot easier for those who knew him. Yeah, you're right. The Bible tells us that as Jesus was walking along the shoreline one day, he called to Peter and Andrew and James and John, leave your nets and your boats and come and follow me. Fix your eyes on me. And they could see him standing right in front of them. And they had seen him do the miracles. They had heard him speak unbelievable truths. So they did. And they followed him. And for the next several months, the four of them and many others fixed their eyes on Jesus every single day and followed him, and listened to him, and watched him. And the crowds grew large, you'll remember, until he had to only choose 12 who could be with him. And then some months later, they gathered in an upper room, and he said to them, I'm going to be leaving you now, 
And I think it was fair for us to assume they would respond, but that's impossible. How can we fix our eyes on you? How can we follow you if you're not here? But I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm going to send to you the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and He will lead you and guide you to know me and to follow me. Now get that. The way we fix our eyes on Jesus, filling our minds with the truth of his word, we get to know him. And I've listed there in your notes some of the wonderful attributes of Jesus and the ways that we can know him. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the victorious one. Jesus, the healer, and on and on. The way that we can follow him is as the Holy Spirit of God, you see, guides us, counsels us, teaches us as Jesus promised he would. So we fill our minds and our hearts with his truth, and then we trust the Holy Spirit as we have trusted Jesus Christ to be our Savior, to be the one then who leads us and guides us as we follow him. We then begin to discern how to tell when he is speaking to us so we know where he's leading us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's also a very important statement. It means don't be distracted by looking in lots of other directions. Be riveted in your focus. It's kind of the picture of, you remember the tall sailing ships? And way up the mast would be a crow's nest up there. And there'd be someone up there with a spyglass looking out, focusing his attention to be sure that there was no danger ahead. And what's one of the worst things that could happen is if he'd fall asleep up there or he'd get distracted watching the birds and all kinds of other things instead of paying attention. That's what it means. It means human race, wherever you live in the world, in whatever generation you're living, whatever you do for a living, you will get distracted because it's the reality of the human journey. Unless you can fix your attention, your mind, your heart, your eyes on Jesus so you can follow him. That's how we run the race with perseverance. Fix your eyes, your heart, your mind on him. Riveted. Why? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Author, what does it mean? You understand what the word author means. You, you, you pick up a pencil and you write what has come to your mind that nobody else has ever written before. That's inspiration. Or you write a poem or you write a song. Author. He authored this idea of faith when he created us in the image of God and he placed within us the capability of believing so strongly that we can actually step out in life living by faith. But more than that, he authored, of course, this idea of we can be saved by faith through grace. Mm. That as God pours out his grace to us, it's our faith in him and what he has accomplished, even though we didn't see it with our own eyes, that then saves us as he does that saving work in us. He also has modeled for us what it means to live by faith when he was here. He awakens in us that possibility of faith to remember that when Jesus had sent his friends out going across the lake and a storm rose up, they were crying out and he came walking on the water and then he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. It awakened faith. And in one of them, it awakened outrageous faith. For that one said, if it's really you, tell me to come out on the water to you. Peter, 
come on. And Peter got out of the boat and walked by faith on waves in a storm. Jesus had awakened faith in him like a faith he'd never experienced before. The author, uh, the awakener, if I can say it, the perfecter, what it means is as he lived his life by faith, it took him all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, not my will but yours be done, Father, and all the way to the cross and all the way through the cross to the empty tomb and back to heaven again. His faith journey has become the path for you and me to understand faith and to experience faith as we follow him. He's the author, the model, the example, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith because of what he accomplished. So we run a race with perseverance with our eyes, our hearts, our minds focused on Jesus, not on the things that so easily distract us because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In your notes, I have a listing there of some of the things that I believe are the joy that was set before him. Now, this is one of the most profound concepts in the Bible, that while Jesus was experiencing the humiliation and the extreme pain of his journey to the cross and then hanging on the cross, there was actually welling up inside of him joy. It's unbelievable to even think about it, but it's what the Bible says. So what could possibly be joy for him in the most excruciating of all possible deaths? God in the flesh hanging on the cross is looking down through the corridors of time to see what does his cross accomplish. What does his sacrificial death on the cross and his victorious resurrection accomplish? Because his death and his resurrection defeated Satan and sin, it accomplishes rescue. It's called redemption. So that you or I or any other person on the planet down through all generations can be rescued from our sin condemnation and our sin bondage. Amen. Because he accomplished it by receiving and enduring the wrath of God upon him on the cross and the hatred of Satan against him on the cross and coming victoriously out of that tomb, victorious over sin and Satan and death. For the joy set before him, yes, it is possible if you will allow yourselves to understand who God is, that as he hung on the cross, he could look forward in time all the way to the year 2012, January 28th, and you're sitting in a place called Williams Bay, Wisconsin, in a church called Calvary Community Church. And he hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, so you could. Amen, Brother John. Who for the joy set before him that you would be here worshiping today, a risen Savior. He hung on the cross for that. Mm. He hung on the cross for the privilege and the power of rescuing you and me from anything that has held us in the past. Anything that has broken us and stained us in the past and setting us free from that by the power of his shed blood and his resurrection. Amen? Amen. 
And then it's more than that. It's this idea of reconciliation that he saw our desperate situation separated from God because of our sin with no possible hope of being returned in relationship with God and living eternity separated from God in that place called called hell. The joy that he experienced on the cross was that he would become for you and for me the reconciler, the one to bring us together with God restored in relationship that no one could ever break and then he was able to look down through time and see that the holy spirit would be sent to do this remarkable work of awakening in you and me when we trust jesus to be our savior a whole new spiritual nature regenerated it's called born again and then the holy spirit would actually take up residence and live within you the spirit of god living in you can you imagine the joy that that welled up in him that because of what he was accomplishing that would be possible and then i believe he thought about this thing that is called the church brother jeff you experienced it in haiti tom is experiencing it in kenya this global universal experience of men and women and teenagers of all skin colors and all languages who have come to understand who Jesus is and what he accomplished, trusting him to be their Savior and being united together as the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And Revelation chapter 7 tells us that when we get into God's presence and we look out over the vast sea of humanity that has been rescued from the darkness and restored in relationship and regenerated by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit and brought into God's presence, it will be a breathtaking experience. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I can't imagine, dear ladies, what is it like for you to actually pass a child through your birth canal with no medical help, meaning no medications, no epidurals, nothing, straight, natural. But what I do know, because I've seen it so many times, within seconds after that child has passed through, a huge smile comes on the face of a mother as she embraces that child, who for the joy set before her as she's going through the pain of that birth process, knowing I will hold my child in a matter of moments or hours. Am I right, wives? Mothers, is that the way it really works? This picture that you have in your mind that you're going to be holding your little baby soon gives you somehow endurance to go through that birth process. What an ingenious idea God had, huh? And that's what that means, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross down through human history has been one of the most despicable horrible imaginations of man probably the most shameful humiliating way for a person to die in the days of jesus as you know no roman citizen was crucified crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of the low slaves criminals of horrible kinds but they weren't crucified out in the back of a field somewhere the crosses were put right along main roads so people as they walked by were encouraged to pick up stones and throw at them or spit at them or mock them it was also of course a warning to those passers-by be careful how you live your life you may end up like this it didn't last an hour or two or three as you know it lasted days until finally your body just succumbed and you suffocated to death 
as you bled to death. And horrifically, frequently, those who were crucified were crucified stark, bold-faced, naked. The ultimate humiliation. Or maybe a little loincloth around them. Scorning its shame. And yes, of course, there is an Old Testament passage that says, Cursed is the one who is hung on a tree. So Jesus, being a Jewish man, would feel the weight of that as well. Scorning its shame, what it means is, as Jesus hung there on the cross, shamed by every possible humiliation the human race could put upon him, there was still within him this sense of dignity and great joy. Emmanuel, God with us, paying the full price so humanity could be rescued from themselves and their desperate condition. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean? It means that after Jesus rose from the dead, as you know, he ascended back to heaven. And you see, there are several scriptures I've listed there for you in your notes that celebrate where he went. This last week, you may have watched something that happens every January, at least for the last many decades in the United States. It's called the State of the Union Address. And you saw the president standing addressing a joint session of Congress, right? And behind him were seated, seated two people. Who were they? The vice president and the speaker of the house. Why were they there? Why were they seated while the president spoke? Had somehow someone walked into that room and shot the president stone dead in an instant, the next president is right there, right? Seated, the vice president, ready to go. And if somehow someone had shot him dead too, the next president is right there, ready to go. Do you see that? It's a picture of what this is about. The authority of the president is ready to be bestowed upon the vice president in the moment of death of the president. And in the event he would die too, ready to be bestowed upon the Speaker of the House. Now that's a, a crude human example, but they sit in the authority that has been vested upon them by the Constitution, by the people, and by the president. If you know much about monarchies, queens and kings, they don't stand, they sit on royal thrones. Why? Because they sit in authority and in sovereignty overall. Others stand and then bow before them. Jesus Christ, when he accomplished all that he had come to do, returned to reign in sovereignty and sat in authority at the right hand of God the Father. Given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, right? Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, as we run our individual race, the race of life, with our minds, our hearts, our eyes riveted on the Lord Jesus, we're understanding who we are following. The one who has given us life. The one who has made faith possible. The one who himself lived by great faith. The one who has purchased your redemption and mine. The one who reigns. So it's not at all about me working hard uh, to run my race alone and by myself. Or pull myself up by my own bootstraps. 
It's about me living my life victoriously connected to the one who has saved me. It's easy to want safety or comfort and say, maybe there's more to life than this, but at least I've got this. It's easy to surrender, not to evil, but to average and ordinary. And to give up your dreams, not realizing that God is calling you to more, much more. For most of us, the battle is no longer between good and horrible evil, but between the common and the extraordinary. Between settling for less and living for more. And when I say more, I don't need, mean more stuff. I mean more significance. When you begin to live the life that God dreams and has designed for you, you take responsibility to prepare yourself for the future. This is your life to live and no one else's, so own it. It's your responsibility to maximize your potential and your capacity, to take inventory of who you are and to understand how God has designed you, to harness all the talent and the skills and the God-given potential that God has placed within you, and to recognize you will not be measured against anyone else's life, but your own. Then you're ready to embrace your role in human history, to make a difference in our world with your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's why the little verse that follows these two verses says, in verse 3 of chapter 12, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not, what does it say? Grow weary and lose heart. Oh, that's a good verse. Because the truth is, life is wearisome. (laughs) Life just drains us, doesn't it? Just getting up on a Monday morning and going through your Monday or mine, whatever it is, you can anticipate by the end of the day you will be somewhat discouraged. Uh, You will be weary. You will have faced like a salmon swimming upstream uh, the reality of life. Which is why, in closing, I wrote for you what's on the front of your worship folder. Running the race of life can become very complicated, and the headwinds of opposition can be fierce. Our 2012 theme verse has both instruction and encouragement for running your life race with confidence and focus and success because, not because you're trying harder, but because the victor, Jesus Christ, will help you run well all the way to your finish line. What do you think about that? That's good stuff, isn't it? Do you agree with that? So let's talk to him about it. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so grateful for the truth that is in your word. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you came here. (laughs) And you did invite some to follow you with their eyes fixed on you. And they wrote under your leadership the story of what that was all about. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit has inspired others to write, including the book to the Hebrews, Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We're grateful that 2,000 years later, after you were here and you returned back to your reign, the Holy Spirit continues to lead those who are willing to follow you. And this morning here in this place, 
And I hope in thousands of places like this around the world, one more time the invitation has been extended with instruction. Here's how God has designed life to be lived. Not simply trying harder, but experiencing the life transformation that Jesus Christ offers. And then filled with his Holy Spirit, following him, running the race with perseverance that has been laid out for us with our eyes fixed on you. Why don't you thank him for that great truth right now? And if you've trusted Jesus Christ in your lifetime, why don't you, right where you're sitting, reaffirm that relationship right now and ask him to show you, so what's hindering you, if anything, from being all that he had in his mind for you when you were that tiny little unborn baby in your mother's womb? And what is that sin that so easily entangles that he would like to set you free from? And as he shows you those things, then why don't you invite him to do that great liberating work in you and you cast it off. Turn away from those things that hinder that sin that so easily entangles and let him set you free. And then why don't you ask him to give you a fresh perspective of what about the rest of your life? What would that look like if you ran the race that he is setting out for you with great perseverance and with your eyes, the eyes of your heart and the eyes of your mind fixed and focused on him, your Savior and your Lord. And if you've never trusted him to be your Savior, why not right now? You recognize that you can't save yourself. You can't go back and undo the things of the past. You'll live for the rest of your life in the shadow of them. But he can set you free. As you trust him to be your Savior, as you acknowledge your need for a Savior, as you invite him to be your Savior, Jesus Christ can set you free from the past, from the sin and the guilt. He can clean you in a fresh new way. He can fill you with his Holy Spirit and lead you forward living life like you never knew it could be lived before. Invite him to do that great work right where you're sitting. Trust him to do it. And he promises he will. And you will experience the life change of knowing Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, we respond in worship to you today, thanking you that no matter who we are and no matter where we are in the journey, you are ready at this moment to do a new life-changing work in each of us. So tomorrow will be different than what the past has been. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name.